0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This episode number 42 entitled Anti-Imperial Christology in Romans. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I am your host. There is a saying that goes around about the importance of context, that if you remove a statement or a deed from its context, you invariably change its meaning. The New Testament was written during a time when Rome was the dominant world power. The fastest growing religious movement in the first century was not Judaism or even early Christianity. Rather, it was the movement that worshiped the emperor his family, his rule, and his accomplishments. Scholars and sociologists have labeled those who participated in this movement of emperor worship as the imperial cult or the Caesar cult. The emperor was highly praised and was celebrated with festivals, games, statues, temples of worship, inscriptions, and even sacrifices evangelists and missionaries for the early Christian movement soon found that their conviction that Jesus is the resurrected and exalted Lord of the world was a threatening theological and political claim for those who worship the Roman emperor as the exalted Lord. One such casual mention within the New Testament of this conflict appears in Acts chapter 17, which says, When the Jews did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. That is Acts chapter 17, verses 6 through 7. There we can see that the claims that Jesus is a different king was offensive And subversive to the claims that Caesar is king. This episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast seeks to examine how Jesus Christ was preached within the Roman Empire that understood early Christian claims as an assault to the claims of Caesar. Specifically, this episode will look at Paul's letter to the Romans. If there was any congregation that was inundated with Roman political propaganda, It would certainly be the believers living in Rome. So it is interesting to see how Paul goes about exalting the risen Jesus to an audience who knew full well that these claims were hostile to the imperial cult. The goal of this week's episode is to gain a better understanding of how Paul taught and understood the person and work of Jesus Christ when he is depicted as one who subverts the person and work of Jesus of Caesar so let's begin in our first point our first point is looking at the beginning of Romans and we'll look at the first five verses of Romans chapter 1 this passage reads Paul a bondservant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. That's Romans chapter one, verses one through five. And there we have no less than five particular phrases or claims made by Paul that would have been understood openly by the original readers there in Rome, as subversive to the claims of Caesar, the Roman Empire, and the imperial cult. Let's look at these in the order in which Paul wrote them. Paul begins by talking about the gospel of God, or God's gospel. Before Jesus ever preached the gospel of the kingdom within his earthly ministry, the gospel of Caesar was widely spread across the Roman Empire. Caesar's gospel praised the fact that Augustus had brought peace and security to his realm, to his empire, to his kingdom, and he therefore was worthy of homage and the paying of taxes. Paul begins his letter to the Romans by talking about the true gospel, God's gospel, and this gospel is about someone different than the gospel that Caesar's gospel claimed to identify. This gospel, according to romans describes his son that's what it says in romans chapter 1 and verse 3 the phrase his son refers to the son of god and when one of the roman emperors would die he would be deified and exalted to heaven thus making the newly appointed emperor in his place the son of god so there we see that the deceased and exalted emperor would be deified to the status of godhood and thus his son would be understood as the son of god so the roman emperor was understood widely as the son of god but paul begins romans by talking about the true son of god jesus and thus this is a subversive claim to the statement that caesar is son of god paul's gospel concerns jesus as the descendant of david it's interesting that David here is specifically mentioned. Out of all the figures in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, why mention David? Well, it's because religions that were ancient were highly valued in the Roman Empire. This is why Judaism, despite being mocked by pagans, was nevertheless respected for being old and ancient. Rome prided itself on also being old dating their founding back to around 700 BC to its founding by Romulus and Remus. David, however, goes back to 1000 BC and is thus more ancient and better than Rome. So to identify Jesus as the person being described in the true gospel, in God's gospel, Jesus being the true son of God is someone that was preceded by David. David was the king of the Israelite kingdom, and David is someone that lived a thousand years ago, and a thousand is much larger than 700. So, the claims of Jesus as the true recipient of this lordship is a claim that is much bigger than the claims that anyone within the Roman Empire or any of the Roman emperors could ever claim because they could only trace their. Kingdom's founding to 700 years ago and we also see that Jesus is our Lord he is the Kyrios that belongs to believers Lord was the most common title given to the Roman Emperor if you lived in the first century Roman world and you were to ask someone on the street who is the true Lord they would answer very honestly Caesar is Lord the Lordship of Caesar was promoted on coins In inscriptions and it was confessed widely by many people thus for jesus to be hailed as the true lord and as the lord of these believers this was an assault and it was subversive to the claims that caesar was lord and lastly paul talks about that jesus as the risen lord is the one that is to bring about the obedience of faith among the gentiles this phrase, the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. The Roman Empire was lauded for having conquered the Gentiles, bringing them into an era of peace and security. The response of the Gentiles was thus to give their loyalty and their homage to Caesar. But if Jesus is the one who is to receive the obedience of faith among the Gentiles, then this is taking away the homage and the loyalty that the Gentiles would be giving to the Lord Caesar. So, if this response was formally given to Caesar, then now this is being drawn to Jesus, and this is thus subverting the claims of Rome and their political ideology. So, there we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, five particular phrases, the phrases of God's gospel. His son, meaning the Son of God, descendant of David, lord and the obedience of faith among the gentiles were all likely understood as openly subversive paul didn't even beat around the bush or hide this fact he was openly subverting the claims of caesar the roman empire and the imperial cult and he didn't waste any time he began it within the first five verses of his largest letter point number two is looking at the middle of romans here we can Look at a famous passage, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, which says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. There we can see that the object of the verb confess in the accusative is Jesus as Lord. More specifically in the Greek text, it's Kyrian Yisun, the Lord Jesus Jesus as Lord is an acceptable translation, but more specifically and more appropriate for our context, it is confessing the Lord Jesus. For Paul, to confess Jesus as Lord was to openly deny any claim that Caesar is Lord. We've already seen earlier in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus is our Lord, the Lord that is belonging to the true believers. The Lord belonging to the true believers was not Caesar. It was not the Emperor Nero. It was the exalted and risen Lord Jesus. What Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 is trying to accomplish is to get its readers to confess their allegiance to the lordship of Jesus, to submit themselves to that lordship, and by doing so, they are cutting themselves off from any solidarity with the Lord Caesar, with the Lord Nero, and they are cutting themselves off from submitting to Caesar's lordship. That's effectively what this passage is doing. It's not just magically saying some words as if it was some sort of magical prayer. No, to confess that Jesus is Lord is to effectively say that Caesar isn't Lord, and thus you are making an anti-political and an anti-imperial claim. We've already seen in Acts chapter 17 that this sort of claim was threatening to people, and this is very likely why Paul was put into prison for so many years of his Christian ministry. Because Paul was going around claiming that Jesus is the true Lord, and this was something that got him into trouble many times. Lastly, we'll look at the end of Romans, Romans chapter 15. I'm well aware of the fact that Romans ends in Romans chapter 16, but chapter 16 is just basically Paul greeting a variety of house churches and persons that he knows there in Rome. So the end of Paul's argument would be in Romans 15. In Romans 15 and verse 12, we have the ending of a variety of quotations from the Hebrew Bible that is trying to link the Gentiles, the nations, to Jesus as the true risen Lord and King. The last of these quotations is in Romans chapter 15 and verse 12, a citation from the prophet Isaiah. Romans 15 and verse 12 says, And Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. That's Romans 15 and verse 12. There we can see that this citation from Isaiah describes the root of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. David, the king that preceded Jesus by a thousand years. We've already mentioned him earlier in describing Romans chapter one. So the root of Jesse was understood as a messianic title, the offshoot of David's family tree, of Jesse's family tree. This was the Messiah. The Messiah will come. He who arises to rule over the Gentiles. Thus, Jesus here is declared to be the one who is going to rule over the nations, rule over the Gentiles. And yet Caesar was currently the one thought of as ruling over the gentiles as ruling over the nations and so this claim was very clearly intended by paul to be subversive to the rule the legitimacy of the rule and the empire of rome jesus is the one who's going to rule over the gentiles and jesus already begun his rule because he has been exalted to heaven after his death in a way that subverts the claims of the former emperors who have been exalted to heaven at their death. Jesus, by the way, does this not as some sort of deified individual, but as one who has been raised from the dead and has been enthroned in heaven at God's right hand. And we have the last phrase at the end of 15 and verse 12 of Romans, which says that in him shall the Gentiles hope. And this was another subverting of the imperial claims, which sought to draw the allegiance of those living in the Roman Empire to the emperor. The Gentiles were to hope in Jesus, not in the Roman Emperor Nero. So, in conclusion, we have observed that, number one, when placed within their appropriate context, many of the descriptions of Jesus Christ made by Paul and Romans are deliberately subverting the claims of Caesar, his lordship, and his rule. And lastly, we saw that by using Jesus to make a parody of Caesar, Paul sought to encourage his readers to solidify their allegiance to Jesus rather than to serve two different and mutually exclusive lords. If you enjoy the Biblical Unitarian podcast, please consider supporting us. To give by PayPal, use the link that is attached to this episode's description, or you can also check out the link that is embedded in the Google document that has the notes from this particular teaching. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.